said Alcoholics Anonymous has done slowly for me what booze did quickly. And it just clicked for me. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Welcome to 2021, ladies and gents, boys and girls, lords and ladies. That was the voice of my friend, Mr. Brian P., that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you We'll be hearing so much more from him in just a moment, but first things first, here on this episode number 168 of Sober Speak, this episode is brought to you by Mark and Richard and David and Kurt and Terry and Todd and Bill. Do you know what Mark and Richard and David and Kurt and Terry and Todd and Bill did? Well, let me fill you in if you are new to the podcast. They went to our website, soberspeak.com. They clicked on the PayPal tab and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Mark and Richard and David and Kurt and Terry and Todd and Bill. This episode is coming right out to you as per normal or as usual. We are going to let all the other folks listen in, but I really do appreciate your generosity. From my heart to yours, I so much appreciate it. This episode, I, John M., will be hosting excuse me, I will be sharing this meeting between meetings and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So let's take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. If you are new to listening to this podcast, and we always get new listeners at the beginning of the year, just a reminder, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as uh, iTunes. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you can listen to, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Oh, also Amazon Music, and also, I have to, I can't say this word loud, Alexa. If you have a Alexa device in your house like we do, you can just go up to that device and say, hey, 
A. Um, play, uh, how do you do it? You just go play Sober Speak Podcast and voila, it will appear in your very ears as you do that. And if you can't find any of that, you can't remember any of that, just go to our website, soberspeak.com and links to all of the aforementioned is on the website. I know I realize that your time is valuable and there are so, so many things you could be doing besides listening to my silly little podcast. And I so appreciate you tuning in. And once again, if you are new to the podcast here, we also, and I say we, it is a community. We have a super secret fake Facebook group and, and you know, I don't understand all the workings of Facebook, but I, what when I say secret and super secret, by the way, super secret is the name that a listener named Dave came up with a couple years ago, a couple, three years ago, and he called it super secret. And we have stuck with that ever since. Uh, but we have a secret Facebook group. And all that means is you got to send me your email to send me your email associated with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N at soberspeak.com, and we will get you invited into the group. Really, it's just to protect anonymity. We have we have all kinds of folks in there. You say, what, do I have to be an Alcoholics Anonymous to be in that super secret Facebook group, John? Well, no, you do not. We have tons of amazing like-minded, yes, we have friends of Bill W., but we have Al-Anon members, a lot of folks from other 12-step programs, and we have people that are just what they call sober curious nowadays. So if you want to be in that, just send me your email associated with your Facebook account. And my understanding, and you can look this up on Google or whatever browser you happen to use nowadays, but my understanding is that it's called secret because basically you can't find the group by searching for it. You have to be invited uh, to it. And obviously, we just want to protect people's anonymity. If you have La Instagram account and you would like to follow us, uh, it is at Soberspeak, all one word. And you can follow us on Twitter as well. I don't know a ton about Twitter, but we do have an account there and it's at sober underscore speak. All right, now on to Mr. Brian P. Brian is an amazing uh, member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I just absolutely love spending time with him. We did one episode with him before, it was the bank robber. Uh, episode, if you are, what what did I call it? Bank robber turns himself in to Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyway, he did absolutely fantastic. If you haven't heard that one, uh, go back and listen to it. It's just, uh, it, it will floor you, I guarantee you. But nonetheless, we've got Brian back on now, and he is going through steps one and two of Alcoholics Anonymous. Brian has been sober since March 6th of 1993. We address a lot of subjects in here. We talk about the phrase, we admitted. We address the uh, physical allergy, the definition of insanity. You know how people go, what do you mean? I'm not insane. Anyway, we talk about that. We talk about unmanageability and what that meant for Brian in his life. Brian presents a version of the promises 
that he uses for when we actually drink alcohol and what we experience when we drink alcohol. He talks about the difference between an atheist, an agnostic, and a believer. And we address much more than that. Buckle up, everybody. Enjoy the ride. Now, everybody, without further ado, please... Please do welcome, if you're in your car, your kitchen, or whatever, you can, you know, give a little uh, applause, you know, you can do whatever you want to do, but please help me welcome Mr. Brian P., and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy, everybody. Okay, everybody, so today, we are sitting here with the one and only... Mr. Brian P. Once again, we have had Brian on the show before. I got a lot of feedback regarding Brian and his story. Uh, in fact, we called your uh, episode Brian P. Bank Robber Finds the Light or something. Do you remember what it was called by any chance? I, you know, I don't remember. It was something like that. Yeah, it started with um, Bank Robber. Yeah. But anyway, Brian is back. Uh, we got so much feedback from that particular episode. I wanted to have, and, and I enjoyed spending time with uh, Brian. So I wanted to have him back and uh, talk about the steps this time. So first of all, Brian, why don't you go ahead, uh, introduce yourself and give your sobriety date if you wish and tell people what part of the country you live in. Hey, everybody. I'm Brian. Uh, Brian P. And I'm an alcoholic. And my sobriety date's March 6th of 93. Uh, I currently live in Dallas. And uh, my home group is the uh, Smoking Gun Big Book Step Study on Oak Cliff. That's right. If, uh, in fact, uh, we talked about that last time because you said Smoking Gun. And wh- why don't you go ahead and refresh people. What The Smoking Gun was started by somebody in the group and there's a cowboy hat involved and all that kind of stuff. Why did you come up uh, with that name? I did not come up with it. So that's why. It's a ridiculous name. I would have preferred Stove Touchers. I think that's more appropriate. Stove Touchers? Uh, it was, it, it was a, yeah, it was a guy named Jeff. He's part of our home group. And actually, I've known Jeff. Shoot, I've known him for 15 years. And I sponsored him when I lived in Maine, and he lived in Tucson. And we both live in Dallas now. So it was his idea. He had a theme or something about the fourth fourth step. You find the smoking gun and your fourth column. And anyway, he was really pushing for that. So I just like... I was really pushing for it, wanting to be in my neighborhood. So I gave up the name for the neighborhood and, uh, and he got the name. So smoking <laughs> gun. And then we, we got a guy named Bubba B who you should get on here sometime from Austin. He's an old rodeo guy. And he's uh, we had him sign his hat. He had a cowboy hat. He signed it and sent it to us. That's our seventh tradition. So, <laughs> and, and I think it's appropriate that there's not one of us that were born or raised in Texas. So we're all <laughs> like outsiders. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. So, um, by the way, I was in a meeting just recently. Uh, I didn't get to talk to the guy afterwards, but he was up in Frisco. And um, you know how we always say at the beginning, is there anybody visiting from another group that would like to be recognized? And there was a gentleman there who said from the smoking gun in uh, uh, South Dallas. And uh, I love that. Yeah, I, yeah, I just uh, so I was like, I was like, oh, I gotta ask him if he knows Brian, but I don't know, I had to either leave early or I just forgot one of the two. I can't remember, but so you have your travelers up in Frisco, but all right. So today, 
we uh, we kind of went through Brian's. Uh, in fact, we didn't kind of. We went through Brian's story last time, or bit, bits and pieces of it, if you will. And we talked about oh gosh, so many different things, and it was such a great episode. And like I said, if you haven't heard Brian P. Bank robber does something. Uh, go back and look that one up. It was absolutely fantastic. But we never really did get into a, a deep dive, if you will, on the steps. So what we decided we were going to do this time around was kind of go, I thought we just kind of go steps one, two, and three. Now I'll tell you, Brian, I've been through this before. And sometimes I start with, and it says, you know, I think I'm going to get to step three or whatever. And we, we end up spending the whole time in step one or whatever, but we are going to attempt to get through steps one, two, and the three in the time that we have allotted. So, um, so let's just go ahead and dive right in. So, okay. Step one. Um, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. What are your first thoughts uh, in regards to that step? Well, I mean, if you want to go back to my first time I read it on the wall in a meeting, my first thought was, that's not me. Uh, but if I'm talking now, 27 years later, um, yeah, I mean, I, well, first off, my belief system and thank God, I mean, I ended up drinking one more time and then I got a sponsor who took me to the steps a lot slower out of the big book. And one of the things I learned, which is true for me, I think it's true for all the men I've sponsored, um, is that the foundation of that step is really the, it's the catapult for, for everything I do in Alcoholics Anonymous. If, if I am not grounded firmly in that foundation, I'm, I'm never going to make the amends I need to make. I'm never going to do the activities that I need to do to stay sober. Cause I'm always going to believe that maybe I'm not powerless. Maybe I have some control. Um, and you know, which is cemented in the fact that there's 51 pages of the big book, which are basically designed and dedicated to the first step to like what my truth is. Um, so when I look at step one today, you know, and I always try to personalize it instead of say we admit. I mean, I know they get we because it's like the accumulation of all the founders. But when I said I admitted, so we admitted we we're powerless over alcohol. For me, the, the first thing I look at is the word admitted. And, uh, and so I thought the word admitted meant I admit outwardly to you. Like me to admit to you is, but if you look at the definition of admitted, or even if you went to a movie theater, which you can't right now because of COVID, but if you did and you got a movie ticket, it would say at the end of it, admit one. And admitted in the first step means to let in, you know, mm. to let internally. So it, it doesn't really matter what I say to you. It's what's really true internally for me. So to let in that I'm truly powerless over alcohol um, is how I take the first piece. of the Yeah. Step. So that's very interesting. I had never really thought about that myself, right? I've, been, I've thought of admitted it kind of in admitting out loud and I've never really thought of uh, internalizing. And in fact, you know, there's a lot of references in the book. It says, you know, in essence, uh, uh, we had to admit to our innermost selves that we were alcoholic. And I guess that's part of where you're getting that from. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's the connection to it. I mean, I, I got it from just the language of someone saying it. But then when I read that piece in the book, it, it clicked and like, yes, because really, what does it matter what any what I say to you or anything? What's really is when I'm alone by myself, what's my truth around alcohol? You know, like, what is my truth? Am I powerless? You know, is that true for me? And if 
I verbalize to you, I am, but internally, I think I'm not, but there's a piece of me that's hanging on. I, I'm never going to truly surrender uh, to what this you know, program requires me to surrender to, which is that I'm powerless and I need some power. You know, it's so simple. For so long, for me, I can tell you, uh, in my personal experience, I went in and out of AA for like three years. And even when I came in this last time, it's not that I couldn't say I was an alcoholic, but what I had a really rough time with was saying I was powerless over alcohol. And so to me, what you're talking about there and what my innermost thoughts were, like you just said, when I was by myself, my thoughts around alcohol, you know, like I said, I could say I was alcoholic, but I really had a hard time saying, am I really powerless over this stuff? So that makes so much sense to me. Yes. I, you know, and, and the truth is, I think that's a struggle for a lot of us, you know, like, especially if we come at a different age, you know, like I, I came in, of course, I was 30 when I got sober, but I had a lot of history of other substances. So I was, my alcoholism was really hidden behind all the drama. You know, I didn't rob banks to support an alcohol addiction or alcoholism. You know, it's, that's not the reality for me. And so I, I was hiding behind the drama. And until a man really just said, let's just examine your relationship with alcohol. Like, let's talk about that. Uh, and I took everything else and put it on the side and said, okay, so what is that? And, uh, and so we, and the way he broke it down is the way the big book, which is we started with the body, you know, cause the powerlessness is in two ways, right? I mean, we admitted we're powerless over alcohol. It's like, okay, how am I powerless over alcohol today? I know I'm powerless over alcohol physically and mentally. Now I didn't, I walked into it, not really knowing if I was even powerless, but as I started to examine my physical powerlessness, without even looking at anything else, just look at that and just put that on the table. Uh, it started to unravel for me some truth, which, you know, and to be honest with you, and I think every alcoholic has this at time, like what happened? You know, I only wanted to have two or three or four, or even when I lied and said, well, I want to get drunk tonight. But then I went way past drunk to blackout or to throwing up. I went way past the mark. Well, what happened? And thank God I had a really good sponsor who would, because I believed the lie that, well, I was choosing to continue to drink. And he brought up this idea, like, what if that's not true? Like, what if alcohol was choosing for you? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And then we started to examine the doctor's opinion, you know, like, and they call it a phenomenon of craving, which to me, because I'm one of those logical guys, like I needs to be more scientific than that. It can't be a phenomenon. You know, it needs to be like, what is it? Now, Yale did a study years later and, and you know, agreed or, formulated the truth around Dr. Silkworth's, you know, phenomena concept, because that was kind of cutting edge and new back in the 30s. Um, and so the for me, it all started with like, do I have this phenomenon of craving? Well, what does that even mean? Well, it means that, uh, that my body processes liquor than non-alcoholics. And is that true for me? And so I started to examine. And what he did is he brought me back. He said, well, let's go to some times that you didn't want to drink as much. Like maybe you were at a wedding or give me some examples. So I had to really find some times uh, and it's a lot harder with younger people because there's very few times that they're actually trying to control it. So you have to really be patient and say, well, let's find a time. And so he started asking me, was there any time that you had an intention of not drinking as much as you drank? Like you made a commitment to somebody or even internally and so I started to examine that and I didn't have a lot, but I had enough to really solidify this idea or this truth that, yeah, something happens to me 
when I put alcohol into my system. And, uh, and uh, the, the two times that were clear for me that was able, and, and now that I can see many other, but the two ones that stood out for me was when I was 28 and I was, I just got done spending almost six years in prison and I wasn't, I, I, it wasn't that I couldn't drink, but I, if I got caught driving drunk, I would go back to prison. So there was a, there was no condition that I couldn't drink alcohol. It was just, you can't really get arrested for any kind of activities that would around that. And I would go into this bar and again, you know, I'm 28. I, I'm back living at my parents' house because I just got out of prison. I, I don't have, I have a job, but I'm stressed out about my condition in life. And I have a lot of reasons to want to drink, right? And mainly I'm just uncomfortable with my skin. But for me, it was always like this outward stuff. And so I would sit in the parking lot of this bar called Buddy's Bar and Grill. What was it called? My, it was called Buddy's Bar and Grill. It's Buddy's Bar and Grill. Yeah. And I mean, it was just like a sports bar. And my, my friend was a bartender there. And I knew, he, you know, and he was a good friend. And I could always get, you know, an, you know a little bit more added to the drink than I was ordering. And But I remember... I remember having a conversation in the parking lot. I'm just going to have two and then I'm going to go home and have dinner with my parents. I mean, and I, and I did this more than once. I did this probably 20 times, but I remember the very first time that I really said, I'm just going to have, it's like five o'clock in the afternoon and my parents are expecting me home at six and I walk into the bar and I say hi to my friend and we're like talking about, it's good to see you and catching up. And then I order a vodka tonic. And I drink it and it does exactly what I want it to do. It gives me a sense of ease and comfort, right? Everything starts to like melt off me. All the worries of the day start to go away. I get, a, I can take a breath. I can finally breathe. And, and then I order my second and that's going to be my limit. And then halfway through my second, I have a thought, which is I should probably have a burger and watch the game because maybe the game was on or maybe... I should just have some fries or order something. And of course, you can't sit at the bar while your food's waiting to be prepared and not order a third drink. Mm -hmm. And so then it would be the justification and the story. And then, of course, two leads to three, leads to four, leads to six, leads to nine, to blackout or whatever. And I would do that over and over and wonder. And I would even drive home drunk and I would, you know, I, and I got away with it every time. And I'd wake up and say, I got to stop making that. I got to stop like making those decisions. I got to, I need to stop it too. You know, I got to stop changing my mind or the lie that I was telling myself was that I was changing my mind because the idea that I had some abnormal reaction to alcohol wasn't even on my radar. It didn't seem like that was even a realm of possibility. And, and I don't think a lot of people have that. I mean, a lot of people think, yeah, I'm continuing to drink. I wanted to get drunk. And, uh, you know, and, and I had an idea and, I, and this is a, a sidebar, but it is what happens to a lot of us is I brought in the Alcoholics Anonymous some ideas around alcohol based on my dad's reaction to my mom's drinking, you know, like my mom was a barroom drunk. And so as a young man, I would, and I'm talking nine, 10, 11, I would hear the argument. My mom's going to go off to the bar and have a few drinks with the girls and she'll be back in an hour. And then the story and the, and the argument would be, my dad would say, it's never just a couple of drinks with the girls and you're, and then she would say, yes, it'll be just two. I'll be back in an hour. And it would be a fight. And then, you know, three, four hours later, my dad's, you know, fed me, put me to bed, read a book, and then he slams the door and leaves and goes, drags her off a bar stool. And then what I hear through the walls is he's telling her she's weak and she doesn't love us. And and as a kid, you know, that gets implanted into my mind, you know, like my mom's weak and she doesn't love us. And so I bring that into Alcoholics Anonymous 
mm. which makes it even harder to swallow this truth that, you know, and the truth is when I finally realized like, oh my gosh, I, I have an abnormal reaction. I'm just like, I'm not like normal drinkers. Like, and there's only like 10 to 12% of people in the world are alcoholic. So, you know, the other 80, 90% are looking at us and like, what's wrong with you guys? And I realized like it has nothing to do with willpower or love or, you know, pulling myself together or getting a, getting a grip on life. It has everything to do with, I just process liquor differently. You know, right. like I just can't. And it's, it's a, uh, it, it was like a two edged sword for me is it gave me relief because it put the, a piece of a puzzle together. Like, Oh, that's why I would go to a wedding and say, people would say, don't get too drunk. And I would say, I'm not going to with every intention of not get trying to get too drunk. And then I'd end up too drunk and being being a jerk, right. Or causing a scene. And people are judging me based on their reaction to alcohol, which is they could have, you know, the truth is my dad couldn't drink like I could, he couldn't even make it. He couldn't force himself to do it because his body wouldn't let him. Mm -hmm. you know and so he's judging my drinking and my mom's drinking by his reaction to alcohol and you know and i'm judging my mom's drinking and hence mine by my dad's statements which is so the the, the freedom in that for me i think the freedom well i know it is for me because it was one is it it made it made a lot of sense it it answered you know and it, it gave me answers to questions that i had like what's wrong with me and it also took my mom off the hook and made me feel some real passion and, and compassion for my mom of like, oh, it wasn't that she didn't love us. She probably had intentions of just drinking two, maybe three. But once she started, she couldn't stop. Because if you really examine alcoholism, that's the only thing that separates us from non-alcoholics. It's our reaction to alcohol. That's mm -hmm. the only thing. That's right. In fact, you hear people all the time saying, well, we think this way because we're alcoholics and I don't buy into any of that. Uh, now, uh, you know, the only difference is, is that when you and I had an issue, uh, when we tried to solve that problem, uh, alcohol was involved. But uh, it's not like we have a, I, I don't, I don't really buy into that. There's all these earthlings out there and they all think normal. And then there's those alcoholics and we are, you know, somehow defective. All you got to do is turn on a, turn on a, uh, CNN or Fox or something like that for about 10 minutes. And that's your normal thinking right there. Yeah. I don't even, I don't buy it for a minute. Well, yeah. and I'll, I'll, and I'll say something that's probably going to be controversial, but I can back it up later on. You know, I think what happens in AA is people will say, well, the, the main problem the alcoholic centers in his mind. And they'll, they'll actually say that it says that. And I do these big book workshops. I'm like, yeah, actually the big book does not say that. Uh, it's, transitions from the body to the mental right it's transitioning from the physical to the mental and it does make a statement you know if the man never took the first drink it would never set the cycle in motion therefore the main problem the alcoholic centers in his mind but this says centers in his mind rather than his body and that's a whole different animal than the main alcoholic centers in his mind because i'm a threefold illness kind of guy i have i have alcoholism which is body mind and spirit and that statement on page 23 in the big book just says, therefore, the main problem centers in the mind rather than his body. And I do agree with that. And those two forms of powerlessness, mind and body, clearly the mind makes a decision and then the body takes over and runs with it. Uh, but that doesn't explain why we start drinking in the first place, which we can get into the unmanageability later. But so I've never been one to think that I think people just think the way they think everybody has insecurities. And I think alcoholics may be overly sensitive and maybe, 
more fear-based, but I can talk to people who aren't alcoholic who have the same fears and insecurities, you know, and in fact, a lot of people drink for the same reason we drink, you know, like if you go to any social activity, they call it social lubricant for a reason, you know, men and women, everybody drinks for effect. The The problem with us is we have an abnormal reaction and we we basically trigger a, 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 an abnormal reaction, which is, you know, we continue to drink. We have to drink more. Yeah, that's you know, correct. Yeah. yeah, you know, and that that uh, line about, therefore, uh, the problem centers in the mind. I mean, it's all about context, right? And that whole chapter is talking about as it relates to alcohol. And like Absolutely. you said, if you never took that first drink, we wouldn't have the problem in the first place. Uh, and so I, I'm with you on that. I, I completely get it. Yeah, um, but if you, oh, go ahead. So, so I was going to say, in in regards to the first step, there, then we're we're talking about two different pieces to this. Number one is the physical part. We well, I guess three if you if you include the spirit, right? But just the the there's a physical part yep. and the mental part. Just to yep. kind of sum, why don't you try to sum that up for people? Because you're going to have people listening to this who are, are who are still trying to figure out, am I an alcoholic, right? And we've Perfect. talked about a lot of different things there and references in the book and stuff. But if you could kind of sum up the physical allergy and then the mental obsession and, and then the spirit too, if you want to include that, yeah. what yeah. does that mean when someone's looking at themselves? So when I'm looking at myself, the first thing is like, how do I react physically to alcohol, which I think is super important, right? Okay, yeah, that explains it. Okay, then am I powerless? Because I still believe the lie that I'm choosing to go into the liquor store, that I'm choosing to go to the bar, that it's my choice. And so understanding mental powerlessness is a lot harder for people. And if you read the context of the book, and for me, when you look at the second step, everything more about alcoholism, the whole chapter three is all dedicated to the mental powerlessness, this whole idea that we're insane around alcohol. In fact, most treatment centers, and I do work in the industry a little, but most treatment centers will teach you about like denial, which there's never any denial. It's it's the two words that they use to describe my mental powerlessness is delusional and illusion. And they use it in more about alcoholism. And delusional is just a false psychotic belief. And the false psychotic belief is that I'm going to be able to control the amount I drink, even though I have empirical data that is proven I can't control it, I'm still going to believe that lie that it'll be different this time. And it may be, well, I got to switch from vodka to Jack Daniels, or I got to go to beer or wine or whatever the lie we do to manufacture this idea that I can drink safely uh, because we don't want, or I didn't want to admit that I was mental powerless. And I didn't like the second step because they talk about the word insanity. And I was like, I was in prison with people who were insane. I'm like, that, not that. I'm not insane. But in the context of my alcoholism and the decision-making around me walking into a bar or a liquor store, knowing that if I drink, I could go back to prison, that's insane. That's, there's no other reason. You can't even explain. Like, if you go and drink, Brian, you'll go back to prison. And then the man walks right into the bar. Like, that's an insane thought. That's, in, you can't, and and so when I look about physical and mental, like I have a body that can't process liquor correctly and I got a mind that thinks it can. And that's a really sticking point. So I got a body that says I can't process it. If I got a mind that thinks it can, then that's in a precarious mental powerless situation. That means I have no power. 
And so, and I had to look at that because I really struggled with this idea. Like, well, surely I was choosing to go to the bar or I was choosing to go to liquors. And so there were times when I did have conditions on my drink and where I could not drink. I was told you cannot drink alcohol for this period of time. And if you drink alcohol, you're going to go to prison if you get caught. So that's a legit, if you're a non-alcoholic and someone says to you, so if you're out there wondering if you're alcoholic, if you're a non-alcoholic and someone says, if you drink alcohol, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your wife. You're going to lose this. You're gonna lose, you just, you just don't drink. Right. Cause you have, you have power over alcohol. You just wouldn't drink like, okay. The fact that I was told by my pro officer that I could not drink alcohol for 90 days because he wanted me in this IOP program. And I remember saying to him, like, I don't even know why I don't have a problem with alcohol. And he said, okay, well, it's because it's a, it's an outpatient program and you have to be sober to be part of it. But since you don't have a problem with alcohol, going 90 days will not be a problem. And I remember him saying that. And I was super mad because it's logic that is really unescapable. Like, okay, if you really don't have a problem, have at drink. It. Right. And I, and I lasted and I, this does come into the unmanageability and we want to really tie the whole package to deal because again, there's the doctor's opinion in the first 43 pages of the big book, there's 51 pages dedicated to the foundation of this truth is okay. I don't have a problem with alcohol. Then I won't drink. And I last 30 days without drinking. And so what does that look like 30 days without going to AA without doing any step work, without anything, just 30 days of not drinking. That means not drinking, nothing, no substances in my body. I'm just completely sober. And here's how it's described internally for me. And I think if you're alcoholic and you're like wondering, and if you've ever been tried to been sober for a period of time without any other thing, just straight sobriety, and this has happened to you in these emotions, these internal, then you may want to look at this. Uh, I start to get around week two or three, first two weeks, I'm kind of good. I'm like excited. I'm a little cocky, you know, like, yeah, I got this. I'm sleeping good. It's all good, you know? And then around week two, week three, I start to get restless, irritable, and discontented. I start to get a little anxiety driven. I start to have some fears come into my life that seem overly powerful. I, I start to get restless. I start to get um, annoyed at everybody. I start, uh, everything like sounds a little bit louder and I'm a little bit on edge. Um, I have some guilt and some shame that starts to creep in. It starts to weigh on me and it's, they call it spiritual malady. And if you really want to know where it says what the problem is, it go to page 64 because it'll say, though we've been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. And when the spiritual malady is overcome, we then straighten out mentally and physically. And so based on that statement, I know that my main problem centers in my spirit. And the unmanageability, see that the stuff is written like this. We admitted we're powerless over alcohol and there's a dash that our lives have become unmanageable. The way I used to read that was my life is unmanageable because I'm alcoholic and this is how it's unmanageable. I get DWIs, I get kicked out of college, I lose jobs, relationships. And those, that's not unmanageable. Those are just conditions. If you put enough booze into anybody, that's going to happen, right? I mean, if right. you... If, if Mother Teresa drank the way I drank, those things are going to happen. It's not <laughs> sure. a, about managing. It's just I, what happens is I cannot manage being sober. I cannot, I, I have a condition that when I'm sober is unbearable. So I have like two, two different allergies. I'm, a, I'm allergic to alcohol, right? The way my body processes. And I have an abnormal reaction to sobriety. I'm restless, irritable. I'm intense. 
I get twisted up. It's like twisting and twisting and twisting. And I just start to get to a place where I just have to drink. And I don't think I have to drink. I think I'm choosing to go into the bar, but I'm powerless over that. I'm going to drink. It's like the analogy. And then we'll maybe get into the second step. It's like this. If, if you drove your car off a bridge and you were trapped underwater, you would hold your breath for as long as you could hold your breath. But eventually, you're going to have to take a breath, right? And it's not like you think you're going to get oxygen. I mean, you're going to die. But what's making you take a breath is some internal condition that's making you do that. And it's the same with alcoholism. You give any alcoholic, and people will say, I could see it. That guy's going to drink any day now because they're just so tense. And they need relief. And so what Alcoholics Anonymous has brought is, you know, this powerlessness gives me access to some power and the power gives me relief. Now, I heard this was the best line and I was newly sober and I was on the other end of the step. So it made a lot more sense. But he said, Alcoholics Anonymous has done slowly for me what booze did quickly. Mm-hmm. And it just clicked for me. And I remember asking, like, what do you mean by that? He says, well, go to the night step promises and read those a different way. And he read them in a way that was like done this way, which I think made it made total sense to me. And I thought, yes, that's why I drink. Exactly. We're at the bottom of the night step at the end. It says, and everybody reads these in meetings, right? The promises, you hear them all the time. And it's at the very bottom it says, uh, we are going to know a new freedom. So he read it like this. When I drink alcohol, I know a new freedom and a new happiness. When I drink alcohol, I do not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. When I drink alcohol, I comprehend the word serenity and I know peace. When I drink alcohol, no matter how far down the scale I have gone, I can see how my experience can benefit others. <laughs> when, I, right? when I drink alcohol, the feeling of uselessness and self-pity disappears. When I drink alcohol, you'll love this one. I lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in my fellows. I mean, come on, we're drug, everybody's our brother, right? When I drink alcohol, self-seeking slips away. When I drink alcohol, and this is it, my whole attitude and outlook upon life changes. When I drink alcohol, fear of people and of economic insecurity leaves me. When I drink alcohol, I intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle me. I suddenly realize that booze is doing for me what I cannot do for myself. And that is why I drink alcohol. And alcohol did that every time. It doesn't matter what was on the table. It doesn't matter how poor I was. It doesn't matter how full of fear I was. It doesn't matter how jammed up I was. Once I drank, everything, the puzzle came together. And I usually got about 10 to 15 minutes of that puzzle being good. And then alcohol would start taking over and then I would lead down and I would start to unravel the puzzle. And the longer you're alcoholic, the shorter that relief becomes. I mean, it gets really maybe three to five minutes for some people, maybe a couple. Yeah. And so the guy told me, he said, if you could live in that place, all those promises were true just based on your relationship with your creator as a result of the steps, would you ever drink again? And I'm like, why would I? And then the next promises right after that are the 10 step promises, which are the promises to the sanity being restored. And so just like it says on page 64, we straighten out spiritually, then we straighten out mentally. That's how they're. That's how those big promises unfold, and it's amazing. 
Let me do a little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Brian P. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. There you can find uh, approximately 160 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, and there's plenty of that that we could engage in if we wanted to. Uh, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Brian P. All right, so I love that version of the promises, right? And that really makes a lot of sense. Um, we've talked about admitted. We've talked about the definition of insanity. We've talked about a, a manageability. Is there anything else you want to add into step one before we move on to step two, or do you think that you've uh, covered what you wanted to cover? Yeah, no, I think we're good. I mean, I think it's, yeah. All right. So step two, came to believe, uh, oh man, you know, sometimes I I do it all the time and and like it'll blank on me, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to, once again, we're back to that word, could restore us to sanity. And a lot of people struggle with that word sanity and what it means and wait a sec, I'm not insane, what do you mean? Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I think we talked about it whether in more about alcoholism when it talks about delusion and illusion. You know, when I when I was faced with this idea, you know, so denial means to deny something I know is true. And delusion is a false psychotic belief, meaning I I really believed I was not alcoholic. I really believed I was choosing to drink. I really believed, you know, and the illusion is I see something that's not true. You know, I'm looking at a blue wall and I say it's white. I mean, that's how I looked at my alcoholism. It seemed normal to me. So when I was because I was pushed up against the word insanity because I had been around people who were legitimately insane and I was insulted by that. But my sponsor asked me, he said, what's the most insane thing you did? It was a setup question. And I remember thinking, oh, I got that. I said, I robbed a bank while I was waiting to go to trial for bank robbery. <laughs> I, I said, that's insane. And he said, this is what he said. He just looked at me and I'm thinking, I got him. That's the most insane thing he's ever heard. He said, that's not insane. That's just stupid. He said, mo- <laughs> and I which insulted me, but it, and really, if you want to look at the definition, then it probably was really stupid. But he said, the most insane thing you ever did was after having empirical data that you could not drink safely, that you would walk into a bar. And that's insane that you're walking into a situation and you think it's going to be different. And like this idea that somehow it'll be different or I'm insane that it's going to be the same. I'm just going to deal with it. Like even to accept that consequence is insane. So I'll, is it, is it right thinking, you know? And so I, 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 I didn't really struggle the word insanity around that. I saw it Cause he said, the only thing they're talking about in that step is around alcohol, around the mental paralysis. They're not talking about anything else. I'm not talking about, you know, your choice in girlfriends or jobs. They're just talking about around alcohol. And so I, I, I set that aside because I understood like, yes, around alcohol, I get that. What I struggled with was this came to believe that a power greater myself. And so I'm like, well, I know what that means. That means God. And I'm an atheist. 
and I've defended my uh, decision or my choice or my belief system that there is no God. And now I'm faced with that, which is why we agnostic, I think, is a beautiful chapter. So you uh, were, I, were you a dug in atheist? Well, okay. In, in my mind, I was, but after examining the definition of atheist, agnostic, and believer, because that's really what you have. You either believe agnostic or you're an atheist. So those are only three options. There's not really much wiggle room. And so he, you know, to believe I'm atheist means that I can prove the non-existence of God, which I don't think is that anybody can prove it. And so then it was like, okay, so really what I found out is I was agnostic, right? I, 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 the, the term that agnostic that I came to understand was like, you can't prove the existence or the non-existence of God. So I was in this, and, and which may be a true statement, but that's how I walked into the step two. But the benefit of having a good first step experience, experience was I, don't, I didn't see any options. You know, like I was clearly understood, like I was screwed. Like I'm powerless physically and mentally, and I have a spiritual condition that's always going to put me back in that condition. And so I better find some power that can fix my spiritual malady because the only thing that can fix the spiritual malady is a spiritual awakening. So that's, I get that. And I understood that. Now, I, I remember saying to him, I don't really like the solution that AA has. I don't like it. And he said, okay. He said, but what does it matter if you like it or not? And I said, well, it doesn't matter. Anything. I'm just letting you know, I don't like it. He said, duly noted. I'll let Bill know. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, who cares? Right. I mean, I was so defiant, but he said, let's examine this idea around power. Are you open to the possibility of the existence of a power greater than yourself? And when you ask somebody that question, and they've already, in my case, I've already admitted I'm powerless and I need power, right? I mean, 51 pages, I get to a place where now I'm powerless. I need access to power and I'm dug in around this. There's no power. And he says, are you open to the possibility? And I was like, yes. He said, so are you willing to believe that there's a power greater in yourself? Or do you believe that there's a power greater in yourself? I said, I'm willing to believe. And thank God in that chapter, that's mm -hmm. really the question they ask, because if they had, if I had to believe before I could move on to the third step, I think out of just pure defiance, I would have dug in a little deeper, but given me that door to say, I'm willing to believe. And, you know, and I've had the uh, privilege and the honor of having many men invite me into their lives. And I think it's a very sacred uh, relationship, sponsor, sponsee. And so I take it as such and thank God that I have that understanding that, that, that I need to meet these guys where they're at, you know, and, and though today at 27 years, I, the belief I have in God is so it's nobody, it's never, it's not shattered. You can't remove it from me. Like it's there. It is who I am. It's, it's, and it's born out of two types of faith, faith of my experience, right? Like I have, 100% faith when I go to bed tonight and I turn my light off, the lights, are, the room's going to go dark. And I have that based on, you know, doing it a thousand times. And so my belief system and my faith in God today is based, started with experiences. Now people call blind faith or hope. You can call it whatever you want. My journey into it went from hope. Like I hope there's something there because I need some power. Today it's grounded in, I have, because there's two types of faith, right? Experienced faith. And then there's the, you walk into it, like, I hope something happens. And uh, the, the one that really has the foundation. So for what me do you is, call that, that second type of faith? So you have experiential and 
I think what I call hope or blind faith or whatever you want to call it, like, you know, and I walked into it like that because my sponsor had a relationship with God and he started where I was at. And then he said he's seven years sober and he's not there anymore. So I kind of believed in what he believed or was willing to believe that that would happen for me. Uh, you can call it hope. You can call it blind faith. You can call it, you call it faith for all I care about. All I know is it's kind of like you're on the edge of a cliff and there's a cloud bank and someone says, step off into that cloud and there's gonna, you'll, you'll be okay. But you don't know. For all you know, that's the end of the cliff. And you take the step hoping. So I don't really care what you call it. It's just beginning that. And I got to tell you, my journey to God has less to do with me going to the light as it has to do me running from the flames. I mean, that's just the truth. I didn't, I didn't like come to Alcoholics Anonymous and have a relationship with my creator because I wanted a, a better relationship with God or with a, a, meet a girl or get a great job. It was literally, I'm powerless and I need power. And that's the power they say I need. And so I'm going to step into that. And I don't know what it's going to look like. And I have a lot of fear of what it's going to look like. And what I found out was this, and I think this is true for most of us. I would have said I had a problem with God because why? Well, my brother died of cancer when he was seven. I was molested when I was 10. I had all kinds of stories, right? So it wasn't that I had a problem with God. I had a problem with the concept of God that I had created. See, nobody created the concept. I created it myself. And maybe there was some stepping stones or some blocks that were put into place by other people or maybe some church I went to. But the reality was I built a concept of God and then I couldn't, it, it was never going to match up because it was a God that there was nothing ever bad should happen to me and everything should be lollipops and sunflowers and, you know, rainbows and unicorns. And that's just not life, Right. And so if that's the concept I'm walking into, then it's going to be hard for me to really wrap my, and so I had to really set aside everything and say, my sponsor gave me this and I don't know if it's controversial or not. I don't, it wasn't for me. He said, like, if you could have any concept of God, which is really my conception, what would it be? And it was really too, for me, it was a non-judgmental loving God. He said, well, why don't we start there? And if you really want to get down to it today, I believe it's even simpler. I think that it's just love. I think it's love. And it's that it's that's it, it can get way more complicated. And you can read some really deep spiritual books. And not that I haven't dived into different areas. You know, I, I'll dive into the pool of spirituality and then I'll then I'll scramble to the shallow end just because it seems too overwhelming. But the reality is it doesn't really matter because everything to me is based in love. And uh which is the antithesis, it's the anti of what everyone's happening in the world today. You know, like everyone's split in different camps. But I'm thinking, is it possible for me to have unconditional love for my human beings? Is it possible that whatever you believe in is irrelevant to me, that I can love you? And I, that's the God that I've really wrapped my arms around. And that's the God that I can do business with. Uh, and it's not like, you know, every once in a while you'll hear people say, well, you need a bigger God, which is a lie. Because God is all encompassing. I just need a smaller me, smaller, <laughs> right. smaller. I am the bigger God gets. And that's the nature of the steps, right? I mean, the 12 steps in nature are basically to reduce me to enlarge God because God's there. He's always been it's just, I'm just clouded, you know, with pomp and worship of other things. And, you know, all these, you know, calamities that have happened. I mean, it, the, the, the whole chapter explains exactly where I was at, you know? So that that's pretty much what it comes down to. More 
God and less me. Uh, and that's what the steps uh, are all about. I mean, there's there's many different ways, as you know, to sum up the steps and what they're trying to achieve. But that would be that would be one that I think we could all hang our hats on. Well, Brian, I knew this would happen. I should not even say what I'm going to be doing on the front end of an episode because uh, we didn't make it through three. But that's okay because you know why. Hopefully, we're both going to be alive for an extended period of time, and hopefully, we're both going to be sober for an extended period of time, and we've got more than enough time to go through all those steps. Anything else you want to say about either steps one or two before we uh, sign off here and pick it up some other time? No, I think that, you know, I guess if you're a newcomer and you're listening to this amazing podcast by John, I I would say that... um, Get a sponsor who has done the steps and, and hopefully, you know, it's someone that's done that has an experience with the steps and let them guide you through it. Because I think that's the thing that helped me the most of somebody really making it simplistic. And, you know, I'm a big book guy and I don't really venture too far out of the realm of that. But I think that having the guidance was perfect for me uh, because I just couldn't see what I couldn't see. And, uh, and I think every, everything to me, everything starts with step one, you know, based on that, Everything else I was willing to do based on this understanding that if I don't do that, I'm going to drink again. If I drink, I'm going to die. Like that's the reality. So uh, I really look forward to our future conversations because. I do as well, my friend. Uh, You know, I told you after the first time we got finished uh, doing that podcast, uh, I, I, I just want to tell you that I felt personally overwhelmed. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I went to my wife immediately and told her how much I had uh, just absolutely enjoyed our time together. Uh, you said something on the uh, way out of the house. You said something like, you know, thanks for ripping my heart out or something like that. <laughs> and we, I just really had a great time with you. And or, or a meaningful time is more of uh, how I should say that. And I knew I wanted to have you back on immediately. So here we are. We've got another episode recorded. We will do some more. And uh, God bless you. If anybody wants to reach out or if anybody wants to get in contact with Brian, any questions of him, just send me an email to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and I can pass you on. Uh, to Brian, if you don't sound too crazy in your email. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Crazier the better for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up here with uh, page 164 from the big book, my friend. It says, uh, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. We just talked about that. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Brian P., as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Thank you again, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Look forward to it. Muchas gracias, Mr. Brian P. Now, remember now, folks out there, if you're listening to this, we do not want you sharing gossip, but do 
Take time to share this episode with a friend and or a family member. If that impacted you, it may be just what they need today. Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Mark writes in and he says, Dear John, I have been a regular listener to Sober Speak for a year and a half and have been meaning to write a message to you for a long time. Thank you in all big capital letters and praying hands for the work you do to create this podcast. Your message of strength and hope are a highlight to my Saturday morning walk each week. Without fail on each podcast, there is a line or two that causes me to literally stop, pause, and catch my breath. Your speaker will share an insight that will give me goosebumps because their wisdom has struck such a personal nerve for me. I love your humor, honesty, and humility, including your... including your bilinguality. By the way, maybe that's one of those words we could get into the dictionary eventually, bilinguality. Um, You know, like, like I remember Madonna back in the day, and there were all the what they called the Madonna wannabes. Well, and then finally the word wannabe got into the dictionary. Maybe if we use bilinguality enough, we can actually get that in the dictionary. But anyway, Mark continues on. You know this, but it bears repeating. Your work on Sober Speak is making a difference in the lives of people all over the globe. I am so very grateful to have found you and the Sober Speak community. My only wish would be is if you could squeeze in a second episode each week, but I know you have a day job and don't want to be greedy. Peace and love, Mark A. in Huckison. Uh, Hawkesson, uh, Delaware. Well, Mark Ace, thank you so much for writing in. I, oh gosh, I appreciate it. There's so many kind words in there. Uh, peace and love back at you, my friend. And you know, and I have thought about putting out a second episode each week. But as you mentioned there, I do have a day job and I have a family and I have meetings I have to get to and other things. But maybe someday, you never can tell when I hit uh, like a... Um, retirement or something like that, uh, I could start doing a second episode uh, in the week, but I do appreciate it. Another Mark writes in and he says, Happy New Year to you and your family, John. I'm one year and one month sober and you were a big help. You're doing God's work. Thanks, Mark. Well, we're all in this together, Mark. Uh, We all support each other, as you know. But once again, I do appreciate your kind words as as well. Jason writes in from Norway. Norway. And he says, Happy Holiday, John. Uh, I just wanted to send you some pictures of the Christmas lights that I got to see this year. These pictures were taken 
outside of a town on the northern coast of Norway on Christmas Eve. You may notice that it's dark out. Yes, I see that, uh, Jason. And he says, however, it was the mid-afternoon in this area. Uh, We experienced what is called the polar night, which is 24 hours of darkness for months. Hope your holidays are going great and that you are well. Your friend in recovery, Jason. Well, Jason, those are incredible pictures. And I can't believe that is the middle of the day. That is just absolutely uh, uh, amazing. And thank you for sending those in. I appreciate it. Your friend in recovery, John. Richard writes in and he says, John, my name is Richard Jay. And he says, I'm 17 years sober and I live in the city of La Palma, California. I think I got your link from Bill C. Bill C. He's talking about who's been on the, the, uh, on the on the podcast many times he says your show and interviews of sober meetings is great i usually listen to them during my walks or long drives to work john you are helping so many people with this project and i want to help keep it going in gratitude richard j well richard j god bless you um i'm glad that um you found my link through Bill C. somehow, and uh, you and all the other listeners out there, you know that California is actually our number one listening state. Now, when I first started all this out, it was Texas because I'm from here and, you know, just all my buddies were hopefully, or some of my buddies were listening in and sharing it with their friends. But California, uh, by far and away, is our largest listening state. And we appreciate appreciate all you folks out in the California area. Bill H. writes in, he says, Hey, John, my brother told me about your podcast. We are in Omaha, Nebraska. I've been sober since September 24th, 2006. My very first meeting was in a funky place called Fox Hall. He says, COVID is a real bear, but I have found my meetings have increased so much. I go to about six meetings a week now, which is more than double what I used to. Zoom has been a blessing. And my brother, who is not in recovery from drugs or alcohol, he just loves recovery talk. Turn me on to your podcast. Thank you for doing it. It means a lot these days. Peace, Bill H. Well, God bless you, Bill, and God bless your brother. That's fantastic. You know, when I first started this, I had no idea that people would be tuning in uh, that uh, were not in recovery at all. But apparently there are recovery talk fans, and I'm glad we can fill that particular need. Another Bill writes in, this is Bill L, not Bill H, and Bill L, by the way, this is a, what would you call this, a Bill-O-Ramia, a Bill-O-Rama, a Bill-O-Mania, 
a bill fest, a bill o fest. I don't know. I don't know what you call it, but anyway, it's a lot of bills. And Bill says, Bill L says, thank you so much for what you're doing. It's refreshing, and I have started from episode number one. Well, my goodness, Bill, you have a lot of catching up to do, but I'm so glad that you are enjoying these various episodes. And I and I just want to say thank you again to all the guests that come in here and spend time with me. And they 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 are vulnerable. They put their stories out there, much like Brian P. that you just heard. And uh, this is what we're in the... the, the it, it's what this is all about, right? One giant community. We all help each other. And you notice that when you share and you hear these stories, people start thinking about their own stories and what has gone on in their lives. And, uh, and, and we also all become more vulnerable. And, you know, we're, we realize we're not living these Facebook lives or these Instagram lives where everything is perfect sometimes. And uh, we're all in this together. Anyway. Love you guys. That's another week. As I always say, I'm taking this one week at a time. I will most likely be back next week, but keep coming back, folks. It works if you work it. It truly does.